PFG Private Wealth Management LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. The topics and information discussed during this podcast are not intended to provide tax or legal advice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Insurance products and services are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed insurance agents. The rules of retirement have changed. No longer can most of us rely on Social Security or a single pension to fund our futures. We're living longer and retirement doesn't just last a handful of years anymore. Instead, you might stay retired for 20 or 30 years and maybe even more. We need to look at retirement through a new lens with fresh eyes, with a new approach and plan of attack. Here to answer the call are financial advisors John Texera and Nick McDevitt of PFG Private Wealth Management, serving you throughout the Tampa Bay area. This podcast is Retirement Planning Redefined, and it starts right now. Hey everybody, welcome into the podcast. Thanks for hanging out with John and Nick and I as we talk about retirement planning redefined here on the podcast. As always, don't forget to subscribe to us on whatever platform you like to use. Find all the information you need at pfgprivatewealth.com. That's the guy's website, pfgprivatewealth.com. A lot of good tools, tips, and resources to be found there. We're going to have another conversation today about some financial jargon. This is more kind of investment terms you might want to know or have heard. And maybe you want to get a better better understanding on, especially if you're sitting down and you're shopping for a professional or something like that. You want to kind of understand some of these things that you're talking about. Now, we're not going to go super deep. We're not going to get into, you know, PE ratios and alphas and betas and all that kind of stuff. But we're going to keep it kind of high level. So we'll jump into that this week on the podcast. Nick, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Staying busy. Uh, uh, we're recording this just kind of uh, closing up tax season. So Happy that that is over for everybody that is, uh, you know, at least not filing an extension. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, obviously a lot going on in the world. So it's been keeping us pretty busy. Yeah, it's true. Very true. John, what about you, buddy? You glad tax season's over? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's um, it's a fun, uh, you know, kind of hump <laughs> to get over. <laughs> and, I like uh, that the, little the, pause. It's, uh, it's yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it's, it's good. It's kind of, uh, you know, kind of mark that people have in the calendar. So that's over with, um, and really, you know, start to kind of, kind of get busy afterwards because yeah. a lot of people kind of delay meetings until after tax season. So excited to get back at it. And then also excited that NBA playoffs started. So, uh, Boston Celtics are, uh, playing right. the nets right now. So, All right. Now um, there you uh, go. Gearing, gearing up for that. So there you go. Very good. Well, you know, we, we probably should have done a show really on tax planning, uh, versus tax preps right after you know tax season because really tax planning is something you should be doing all year long with your retirement professional anyway. But we're not going to do that this week. Maybe we'll do that here in the next couple of weeks. We'll come up and do something. But for now, let's talk about some terms that people hear and probably should know. Maybe you know. Maybe you have that kind of cursory, high-level view, whatever the case might be. Maybe you don't. So let's talk about a few of these. Well, let's going to start with, fidu- uh, with fiduciary, guys. And and this is a term that I think you know people should know. They know, should know what it is. I kind of wish and I was thinking about this before we started, that our politicians had to do what fiduciaries have to do, right? They have that legal, moral, ethical responsibility to do what's right for their client, aka us as like, you know, American citizens. I wish our politicians had to be fiduciaries. But either way, explain what it is and maybe a little bit of the difference between that and like suitability. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, fiduciary, you know, especially in our world as an investment advisor, it's, it's where the fiduciary is obligated to put the client's best interest ahead of their own. Um, so really looking to do what's best for the client, regardless of any other factors. Um, and what you mentioned there with as far as how does that compare to suitability, where, um, you know, where kind of like a broker has to recommend something that's suitable for the client. So that there's a big difference when you start to kind of analyze that, you know, is, you know, something might be suitable for you, but it might not be the best thing for your situation. Right. Or maybe there's other things out there that are better. So a fiduciary has to do the due diligence to say, hey, I'm, I'm making this recommendation. And based on you know my expertise, my knowledge, everything I've compared it to, this is this is what I believe is the best uh, for you. And um, also, if there's any uh, any you know conflict of interests for the advisor as a fiduciary, they must disclose that to you um, you know upfront. So yeah. you know one thing what people really need to do when they're uh, interviewing advisors or kind of taking that step to try to find someone to work with, you know, it's really one of the first questions should be asking. I'd say the good thing is the industry is really going in this direction mm -hmm. um, over the last you know decade or so. It's really been kind of going you know fiduciary, fiduciary, you know. Um, so that that's making that the great. standard, making it more yeah. the standard. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, that's a great point because so if I'm getting this right, then maybe to kind of break this down for people and, and Nick, feel free to chime in. But so like if there's three options available, suitability would say, hey, any of these three technically work for my client. But this one actually pays me better, or there's a reward of a trip or something like that attached to it. You, you're not doing the wrong thing by picking that. It's still suitable. Whereas a fiduciary has to look go with the absolute best thing for them that you know, for the client. Period. Is that a is that a fair way to break that down in layman's terms? Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair way to kind of break it down. And it's you know it can get tricky because you know when you really get into the nitty-gritty in theory people can argue about what's better now versus what might be better down the road and that sort of thing but right. if anything i think what's important for people to understand is the conflicts of interests the potential conflicts of interest and where they come from so you know if if you're working with an advisor that is you know tied in with a parent company that has proprietary products then they're probably not able to function as a fiduciary so Understanding gotcha. that there's a conflict of interest, a potential conflict of interest there is just something that people should ask about um, so that they understand it. It can be uh, from experience, just kind of chatting with people. It can get uh, a little overwhelming for people to kind of like really drill down, understanding the difference between fiduciary and, um, you know, standard versus uh, suitability standard. But but people oftentimes understand conflict of interest and you know, just to kind of uh, kind of piggyback a little bit on your short little rant earlier about politicians, you know, <laughs> many people would be shocked to know that politi many politicians are able to invest in companies um, with, you know, even though there may be conflicts of interest yeah. and the fact that that's able to happen. And, you know, there's some websites that track those sort of things, but, you know, oftentimes they're privy to information that will impact a company uh, in the marketplace, and they're able to take advantage of it, even though you know the rest of the the country can't do that. So, yeah, I, I was just um, even yeah. you know talking like financially. I was just like you know, in just their yeah. basic decision making when they pass laws. <laughs> for know, sure, for sure. Know, that but that's a good example of them yeah. not passing laws that uh, true aren't good for true. everybody. Else, well, so. and to John's point, so there's nothing wrong with asking, right? When you go in to sit sure. down with someone, you're just say, hey, are are you a fiduciary? Right? That's that's a fair question, and there's nothing wrong with asking that. 
Agreed. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's move on to the other big term right now that everybody's getting hit over the head with on a regular basis, and that's inflation. At the time we're doing this podcast, guys, the CPI numbers came out a couple of weeks ago for March. Pretty ugly. Gross is a term that has been thrown around quite a bit, some of these numbers. Uh, 8.5% on the inflation. Uh, We're talking, what, 48% on gas, 35% up on used cars, food, 13 to 17% up. So inflation, break it down a little bit. Yeah, so inflation, you know, has to do with uh, spending power of of money, and so you know, one of the easiest ways for people to to kind of think about it is, you know, you mentioned, you know, food, for example. You know, one of the things that we kind of joke around with people is they were able to, you know, a couple of years ago. Do you remember when you could get, you know, walk out of Publix and get everything you needed for, you know, seventy, eighty bucks versus it now costs in $100, $120 for the same amount of stuff. And, um, you know, the tricky thing with inflation is that it's there uh, on a consistent basis year to year. Uh, but every, you know, 10 to 15 years, it kind of creeps up on us. And, and then we realize like, hey, you know, this is, this is kind of annoying. Um, and then obviously we have times like we're in right now where there's some hyperinflation and, um, you know, and kind of pocketbooks are getting hit. The one thing that I would say just to kind of pour some, you know, water on it is that uh, although there are, you know, some real uh, substantial issues that people are dealing with, there are some kind of, I guess what we would almost call like acute factors that are having an impact on it that we would hope, you know, um, subside to a certain extent within the next year or two. But also there are going to be ramifications that we're already starting to see where, you know, the Fed is doing things to try to combat inflation, like increasing interest rates, which we're kind of already uh, on the docket, but has been getting pushed down. You know, the can's been getting kicked down the road for a while. And so things like, um, you know, mortgages, you know, mortgage rates are now, I think, like mid fives, I read, whereas a year ago, you know, closer to three. And I was just having a conversation with somebody to to kind of put that in, you know, uh, real world numbers a half a million dollar mortgage at, you know, rates a year ago, a half million dollar, you know, financed amount is from a monthly payment standpoint is equivalent to around 370,000 now. Or, you know, if you look at it inverse, a half a million dollar mortgage at current rates is going to cost you around $700 a month more than it was a year ago. So that's going to have a real impact on, you know, housing prices and, you know, a, a lot of other things as well. So you know, that's, those are some real world examples of how inflation kind of impacts our life. All right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we're hyper aware, you know, we, we've talked about it before a little bit, but inflation, we always kind of think of, at least I do anyway, like calories, right? We know it exists, exists and we don't often put a lot of thought into it until it's, you know, slapping us in the face, so to speak. And it's definitely doing that right now. So a lot of people are very concerned about that. So when we're talking about that, what happens is you start thinking, well, maybe I should take a little more risk or whatever the case is. Uh, with my portfolio to try to outpace inflation or keep up with it or whatever the case is, especially in these crazy times. So that leads us into risk tolerance, guys. So what is your risk tolerance? And is that a wise move to try to take on more risk to combat something? Usually it's not. No, it's not. And this is um, one of the most probably important things in building a portfolio that someone should really um, take a look at. And it's often overlooked. So, you know, risk tolerance is, you know, to kind of kind of bring it down to the simplest form is, you know, how much loss is an investor willing to take in their portfolio? You know, how much volatility um, can they tolerate? Um, so one of the things that we do 
when we are building a portfolio for clients, the first thing actually is, uh, you know, we have them go through a risk tolerance questionnaire to determine, you know, are they conservative, moderate, aggressive? And um, from there, we really help us design the portfolio. So that way we can kind of match up, you know, the expected volatility um, of the portfolio with kind of what they can bear. Because uh, one of the worst things you can do investing is jumping around and we kind of uh, i hate to say it seen a little bit right now i've already kind of filled a few phone calls i'm mm-hmm. like hey you know what should we do with the market and and if this volatility has already got you nervous and it's you know it hasn't really i mean it's been a pullback but it hasn't been anything too significant right you know you really need to take a look at am i invested correctly because as we all know <laughs> as you, you shift to conservative or to cash and then the next week the market could just rally up and all of a sudden you just <laughs> lost all, all uh you realized yeah. your losses and didn't get to recover from it yeah knee-jerk yeah, reactions are even, not the best right now right yeah, yeah. And, and i would even jump in uh with that too saying you know kind of going along with what john said where i think we have hit that point where people have forgotten what it's like to have bad markets or even like a normal market cycle of having a negative year, you know, even during COVID uh, when the markets pulled back, you know, 35, 40%, they bounced back by the end of the year. So it was never really realized there was a short period of panic, but the recovery, was quick, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that don't remember that, Hey, you know, there are going to be years where the market you know, is down 10% for the year, the whole year, you know, 12, you know, whole months. So that's something that's interesting that's happening right now that we're seeing. Plus, you know, historically where people would shift would be to fixed income or bonds. And that's not necessarily a safe place right now either. So we're kind of in this, you know, almost like unicorn phase that only comes along every 50 or 60 years where there's not a lot of opportunities in many places. And so there's going to definitely have to be some patience involved. I like that. In the next 12 to 18 phase. months. Yeah. I like the unicorn phase. It's, it's a good way of putting it. Uh, it's definitely been interesting. That's for sure. So do you guys kind of with the risk tolerance, uh, is it, is it kind of like that number kind of system? Do you guys do like that risk tolerance kind of thing where you kind of give someone a, I don't know, almost like sleep number, if you will, like if you're a hundred <laughs> or if you're a 20, <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> Yeah. So how we do it, and I've, I've used actually some programs that do that. They give you like a risk number um, based on how you answer questions. We have a set of some pretty good questions that give us an idea of what that person can kind of stomach okay. and what their expected return is. Um, it's really, when you start to break it down, it's a lot of the same questions just asked differently to really kind of understand how the person ticks. So yeah. um, you know, we, we do a real good job of figuring that out. And then as advisors, you know, part of our job is to make sure we put them in the appropriate portfolio based on how Yeah, because it's pretty easy to say conservative and you go, well, what does that even mean? Right. Or I'm yeah, moderate. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? That's probably a wide window, right? It is. Yeah. And then I would say, you know, one of the things that, you know, without it sounding like a commercial for ourselves, one of the things that... <laughs> we do that's a little bit different than, you know, some places is that we do have what's called like a tactical tilt to how we manage money, where if we do have significant concerns, um, we will tamp down, you know, the risk. So maybe if somebody's normally in a portfolio, that's a 50, 50 mix stock to bond and what we would consider a moderate portfolio. If we have significant concerns in the market, you know, we may drop them down to 30 percent you know in in on the stock side of things um in certain cycles where we have high concerns so sometimes you know what we found is that that helps allay some fears uh for some people that 
that there's some proactive, you know, potential changes where if we really feel like, you know, it's going to hit the fan, we will make that change. <laughs> right. Okay. So risk tolerance, another big one, then definitely making sure that you're, you know, having that proper risk tolerance for yourself, especially in these inflationary times when it becomes, you know, it's, it's hard to not feel, I think as humans, we feel like if we don't do something, we're doing something wrong or like we have to take action or therefore we've made a mistake. And sometimes doing nothing can be a smart move, you know, especially in volatile times when it comes to a financial standpoint, you just, if you don't know the, the correct answer, making a move, making no move might be a good, a good place to start at least that way you're not having that knee jerk reaction. And then of course, talk with a professional, get some advice and get a good strategy in place so that you know the right moves to make at the right time. Uh, let's do another one here, guys. Another technical one: dollar cost averaging. What is that? So, dollar cost averaging is the easiest example that most people have exposure to on a regular basis, and they don't probably realize that they're doing it. Is when people are contributing to their four hundred one k. So, every two weeks, a certain amount of your paycheck goes into your four hundred one k, and you have a set allocation. And you are buying into that allocation at whatever price it's at at that point in time. So the thought process with dollar cost averaging is that you are balancing, uh, you're, you're investing over a period of time where sometimes you'll be buying at a premium, sometimes you'll be buying at a discount, but the objective is to continually invest and um, make sure that you are not trying to time the market. And you know, part of that is um, also what we're finding with the current market where it's at, uh, with people money on the sidelines. It could be a good way to kind of take some of the risk of putting all your money into the market and all of a sudden it dropping. So you, there's a strategy to basically say every you know, if I have a hundred thousand I want to put into the market every month or so, I'm going to be putting in ten grand into it. You know, that way if it does dip down immediately, I only have ten thousand dollars at risk. So dollar cost averaging, um, you know, as Nick mentioned. You know, most people are doing the 401k, not knowing it, but it's, you know, if you have money on the sideline in a volatile market, or if you're nervous, it is a good way to kind of get money, you know, that was on the sideline into the market. Okay. All right. Well, let's do one more guys and we'll wrap it up this week. Asset allocation. Uh, another big term we hear, we probably get that tossed around a little bit. Give us the kind of the high level view of what that is. And because often I think people wind up feeling like they have a whole bunch of one thing and they're diversified because they've, I don't know, like, for example, I've got a whole bunch of mutual funds, so therefore I'm good. Uh, so explain what asset allocation is. And, and is, is that correct? What I just said, is that, a, is that really diversified or not? Yeah. So asset allocation is kind of taking diversification to a different level. Um, you know, you could have seven different mutual funds, but if, if it's all the same type of funds, so example, like a large cap growth fund, you know, they're all, they're going to do the same thing in reality when the market goes up or down. So when you do asset allocation, you're spreading your your money, your portfolio within different asset classes, such as large cap stocks, uh, small stocks. Nick mentioned fixed income earlier, cash, some alternatives. So, you know what you do there is when you're building a portfolio, and again, starting with your risk tolerance and your goals, you determine, hey, you know, my risk tolerance is X. Here's my goals. I should be in a you know, let's just call it in income and growth portfolio. Well, what's the right mix of asset classes to, to make that work and, and to kind of bring it down to, you know, layman's terms here. Imagine kind of cooking, you're making, you know, recipe for a pie. It's, you know, the pie has certain ingredients to make it, make it work and make it taste good. And that's basically what you're doing in your investments. It could be 20% large cap, 5% small cap, you know, 20% fixed income. And our job as, as advisors and in, in wealth management is we build 
that portfolio for the client um, if they hire us to do so. Gotcha. So. Okay. All right. That's a good way of breaking that down. You need to think about it like a pie. So, and who doesn't love pie? So there you go. All right, guys. Thanks so much for the uh, conversation this week. Good stuff talking about these uh, these technical terms, some jargon here. Hopefully, we kept that pretty high level and it helped out with some of the things that you might be thinking or hearing. And if you've got questions, definitely reach out to the guys. As always, before you take any action, sit down. If you're already working with them, maybe share this podcast with someone who might benefit from it. Uh, if not, if you've been listening for a while, just reach out to them, have a conversation and chat with them for yourself. You can find all of it at pfgprivatewealth.com. That's their website, pfgprivatewealth.com. They're uh, financial advisors at PFG Private Wealth, which makes a lot of sense. So make sure you subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, all that good kind of stuff. That way you can catch past episodes as well as future episodes. For John and Nick, I'm your host, Mark. We'll catch you next time here on Retirement Planning Redefined. 